Nishma Sibeh Wabamah 
five minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program.
J.M. in the A.M. Great medley done by Benny Friedman and Ari Goldwag, a Shabbos medley recorded back in 2018 down in Baltimore, Maryland. And a really nice job on this era of Shabbos here at J.M. in the A.M. Yankee Lemmer had Mim Komcha. You heard Vishamru, that was Yehuda Solomon. Yaakov Shweki with Boi Vishalom. Diaspora had Sim Shalom. Eitan Freilich with Yom Zeh And of course, was it Yom Zeh or Yom Zeh Yisrael? One of them. It's Yom Zeh and Regesh. Modani opening things up, and we say good morning. It's Friday on this February the 14th, day 19 in the month of Shvat, the year 5780. Tough Shin Pei. It's Erev Shabbos Parshas Yisro with candle lighting time at 5.09. 5.09 is candle lighting time in New York. President's Day weekend. We are here Monday at JM in the AM. That's right. Might be a legal holiday, but we'll be here. Make sure to join us between 6 and 9 a.m. As usual, 37 degrees in New York with 67% humidity. Winds are west at 9 miles per hour. Partly cloudy with a high temperature of 35. Then tonight, clear skies and a low of 17. Tomorrow, mostly sunny and a high temperature of 33 degrees. I know, tonight, a low of 17. It's going to be cold in this area. Yerushalayim right now at 54. We're at 37 degrees in New York City. 
as we say good morning at JM and the AM. Friday, Erev Shabbos at 24 minutes before 7 o'clock. As we continue on this um, JM and the AM broadcast, Malcolm Honline, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, is in Israel. We'll check in with him in the Holy Land. That's right, he's in Israel. We will check in with him in the Holy Land at about 7.40 Eastern Time this morning. So we'll have that for you. We call it the weekly update. We'll have it for you here at JM and the AM. So again, Malcolm Honline from Israel coming up uh, later on in this show, plus a full day, as you can imagine, including Naomi Nachman, brand new, with a brand new edition of Table for Two. She's got a great lineup, plus the Arab Shabbos show with Mark Zomik, brought to you by Kedem. Uh, Arab Shabbos music mix brought to you by Kedem, and so many other wonderful things that are going on on a Friday Arab Shabbos here at the Nachum Siegel Network. It's a Friday morning, JM in the AM with eight ton cats. Yeah. 
just you guys, let's hear you. I am Thank 
חצי שני על בכור וילדה, תודה גם על אושר ולידה. תודה על החגים, על שבת ששומר, שלא ייגמר לעולם. כל יום שעובר מדרכי לגן עדן, שיניתי אותך מול עיניי. מלך מלכי המלכים, תודה על חיים, על אושר, על בכי, על צחוק, גם כשקשה. והמלך יושב לו בפנים, מלאכים מסביבו והשער נעול, מי יודע כיצד נכנסים. ניסינו מאלף דרכים, דמעות רבות ותחמים, ותפילות חזקות שיוצאות מעליהם, ועדיין לא מצליחים. אך יש לנו דרך, דרך אחת,
J.M. in the A.M. Shlaimi Gertner. Nice song. It's called Mehera. I apologize having trouble with our feed from Israel, so we'll skip our newscast and head into hour number two this morning. Before Shlaimi Gertner, you heard Simcha Liner with Medley D off of his Project Relax Israeli edition. Eitan Katz with both the Breslov Lachado D and uh, Anim Zmiros off of Live in Jerusalem, volume number two. And we opened up the hour with uh, Benny Friedman's... Uh, oh, actually, no. Uh, that was part of the last segment. But anyway, Benny Friedman was in there with that Shabbos medley as well. Friday morning and uh, hour number one is completed. America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Around the world on the web at NachumSegal.com and the NachumSegal Network. And, of course, on the beloved NSN app. It's Erev Shabbos Parshas Yisro with candle lighting at 5.09 on this Erev Shabbos. 5.09. President's Day weekend coming up. We are here Monday between 6 and 9 a.m. Make sure to join us as you would on any typical um, Monday morning. Uh, Young Israel of Manhattan has both Benny Friedman and Yoni Z in concert tomorrow night at the corner of uh, Grand Street and Essex Street. 
uh, Seward Park High School right here on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. It's near a million subways, and there is usually parking uh, on the night of the concert, meaning on a typical Saturday night in this area. Um, so come and enjoy. It's a nice little theater, and uh, you have a golden opportunity to see uh, both Benny Friedman and Yoni Z in a great Jewish music concert tomorrow night. Starts at 845, I believe. Again, Seward Park High School, Grand Street, Essex Street, on the corner here on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. All right. If you come, you will likely enjoy. That's for sure. Malcolm Holmline is in Israel. He's executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. He will join us from the Holy Land at 740 Eastern time this morning. So that is coming up. Malcolm Holmline will join us. And we will do the uh, weekly update. Find out uh, what's happening in this amazing world of ours. Rabbi Yudin, of course, at 815. And uh, plenty more happening on this uh, on this Friday uh, era of Shabbos here at JMM. This is the brand new single from Eighth Day. Eighth Day's out with a brand new single. I believe they call it Communicate. Here it is at JM in the AM. When my heart is full of joy, I got that brand new toy. I communicate, communicate. When my lunch falls on the floor, lay for the bus and they close the door. I communicate, communicate. Talking has a way of pulling smiles from a frown. Sharing can turn your situation around. won't let you bat communicate communicate it's hard to lift a ton when you're the only one but with two we can carry through talking has a way of pulling smiles from a frown sharing can turn your situation around Heartbreak won't go away Sharing your feelings Is the only way So call your brother Ellie Call your sister Seminary Call your cousin Benny Call me, I'm always ready Nay, let's go over and talk to a friend When you're happy, when you're sad Talking makes you glad Nay, let's go over and talk to a friend Talking makes a friendship real
J.M. in the A.M. with uh, Simcha Liner, brand new Shmai Yisrael. If you haven't seen the Kosher Halftime Show 2020 yet, make sure to do so. You know, especially if you're a Simcha Liner fan. Great, great uh, segments with him uh, during the Kosher Halftime Show. Uh, before that, you heard Eitan Katz with the Chadodi, Kula Mahuvin, that was Mordechai and David, the Kol Noar Boys Choir with Kulanu Keachad, perfect for this Shabbos. Shlomi Kaufman and Cole Yisrael. Uh, Matt Dub had Olam Chesed. And the brand new one from Eighth Day is called Communicate. That's brand new for us here at JM in the AM. Feel free to comment on the app. Go to the NSN, Nahum Siegel Network app for Android and iPhone. And comment away. Good morning and good Shabbos from AJA Carpool number 255 down in Atlanta. Thank you, AJA Carpool. <laughs> They're the best, always tuned in in Atlanta, Georgia. Mazel Tov to Chaim Meyer Mitnick, his bar mitzvah celebration. Mazel Tov to Chaim Meyer Mitnick. Mazel Tov to uh, Maishi and Chani Lethel on the birth of a brand new baby boy, Mazel Tov. And Mazel Tov to Shragi and Liba Melman on the birth of a brand new baby girl. Mazel Tov from all of us here at JM in the AM, Baruch Hashem. Uh, we can celebrate some wonderful occasions. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. He'll join us at 7.40 a.m. Eastern Time coming up from Israel. He's on a limited schedule this morning, but we will get him for a few minutes. And uh, that'll happen um, again about 7.40 Eastern Time right here at the JM in the AM. This portion of NSN programming is brought to you by our friends at Abel's and Hyman. A&H, kosher hot dog sausages in Delhi, the world's best. They're serving the kosher world since 1954. They're available at all better kosher supermarkets nationwide. Try A&H today, and today I'll be at Aaron's, where they have a great, uh, in Queens, where they have a great selection of A&H products. Just toss a bunch into your wagon and uh, head to the cashier. Simple as that. Friday Friday morning broadcast here at JM in the AM. Let's see, where are we heading? Uh, where are we heading musically right now? Oh, we'll go to... Um, We'll go to the latest album by uh, Mordechai Shapiro. This is a uh, really nice Shabbos selection from him. Uh, here he is, Friday morning at JM in the AM. 
a song for my dear friend one of my favorites composed by Yitzi Waldner so Sigue escada 
J.M. in the A.M. Yaakov Shweki with his, uh, actually live in Israel with his Mimkomcha here at J.M. in the A.M. Before that, Mordechai Shapiro, brand new Ein Anachnu. Friday morning on this Erev Shabbos Parshas Yisro, candle lighting in New York is 5.09. It's President's Day weekend. We are here Monday. That's right. We will be here Monday. So treat us like a regular Monday or treat yourselves like a regular Monday. Make sure to tune in. Uh, on Monday between 6 and 9 a.m. right here at JM in the a.m. Big thank you to our friends at thejewishworldreview.com. If you want to print out uh, before Shabbos uh, many, 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 many articles about Israel and the Jewish world and have them at the ready um, uh, during Shabbos, then uh, head to jewishworldreview.com, jewishworldreview.com. You'll be impressed with the incredible selection of topics that you can uh, read about. Uh, just by logging onto their website. Uh, Malcolm Honline is in uh, Israel. He's in the Holy Land. He's on a limited schedule, so we'll get to our weekly update. Uh, weekly update, 7.40 Eastern Time, every single Friday morning here at JM in the AM. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations and joins us for the weekly update from Israel. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. It's good to be with you, as always, and especially here from gorgeous Yerushalayim, overlooking the old city and the Temple Mount, and thinking of all of you back home waiting to come. Well, I mean, it's supposed to be 17 degrees here tonight in the New York area, so uh, we'd very much like to join you there. And certainly think of us when you're walking around in shirt sleeves and enjoying the incredible weather of Jerusalem. I don't know how the weather was in Saudi Arabia, but it's pretty well known that you and a delegation uh, were in Saudi Arabia this week. What can you tell us about that journey, Mr. Honline? That we were in Saudi Arabia this week and I had a good, a good visit. Um, important, but the importance is to build a long-term relationship, which is why we don't discuss it. Um, uh, aside from the fact that it happened, there were high-level meetings, including with the head of the World Muslim League, Sheikh Khalisa, and government officials. Um, and uh, I think the delegation felt it was very worthwhile. Can we can we do, I mean, you did this for me off the air, which I greatly appreciate. Can we do a drop of the philosophical piece, how it really is unbelievable, and those who are, I don't know, my age, your age, other, I guess, generations as well, um, you know, it's, so many of us find it so hard to believe the way the world has has developed now in 2020, and the way people uh, in certain countries think of Israel and Jewish delegations, etc. I am assuming that none of that was lost on you. And obviously, it wasn't. I mean, I've been in Saudi Arabia before, on alone, and um, but I've, I've seen in the region the changes that are taking place. The, the fact that uh, our delegations and our leadership is able to visit Muslim and Arab countries, that the uh, tolerance levels, the acceptance levels are, are different, and that there are factors in the region that bring people together, uh, negative factors like Iran, the terrorism, violence, and seeing Israel as the most positive force in the region. 
sometimes it's alienation from the West and the feeling of insecurity about whether they can rely on the West and look for, for allies. Um, but there's also a recognition on the part of religious leaders in the Middle East and others that of the commonality of interests and that the um, issues that have bogged them down till now, and we see it in regard to the deal of the century, where the support for the Palestinian uh, obstinacy is waning, and the, the fact that they refuse to negotiate and continue to demand a no, the Arab League endorses it, but the individual countries have been uh, have taken somewhat different stances. I think that the um, opportunities they see, uh, whether they agree with every detail of them or or part of the deal of the century, the fact is they're saying, look, this is a document. Take advantage of it. Sit down and negotiate. You don't like something, you'll talk about it. But uh, Abbas's continuing position of no negotiation, no discussion with Israel. He doesn't want to negotiate. He doesn't want to have to make any concessions. He wants everything to come from Israel. And for the first time, we see that the pressure now is on him and saying that, that it's not Israel's obstinacy and Israel doesn't have to make concessions in advance in order to get him to the table. They should come to the table and negotiate. And they'll make the reasonable people can reach accords. It won't be exactly what the proposal uh, uh, suggested or the details that it provided, but that the the framework is one in which people, reasonable people, I think, could find a good reason to come to the table and put everybody to the test. And I think that's what the Arab world is saying today. You see the statements that, well, there's good things there, there's basis for talks that just emerged in the last 48 hours from different people, Obviously, you know, it's a sensitive issue still, and this, they always worry about the street. But you see the, the, that the intensity of feeling and stuff is diminishing and that they're tired of the kleptocracy, of the refusal to move towards a democratic or a more meaningful structure where people's aspirations can be met. And I think that that is reflected in the, in the broader region. The coming together of the Mediterranean initiative that we initiated 10 years ago, bringing many countries and more and more wanting to come in based on Greece, Israel, Cyprus, the, I think, a Gulf initiative could be possible, too. And, you know, the prime minister visited uh, Oman, uh, the delegation that visited Bahrain uh, and other countries, UAE. Uh, Israel has going to have a booth at the 2020 exhibition. So... It's, uh, as you said, it, it is um, a changing world. It's not to say that everything's perfect or all of the animosities of the past are, are uh, gone, but certainly the, uh, I think you can say that there are new oppor- opportunities here. Uh, one last word, and I, I know that uh, you're limited in what you could say about it, but one last word about these delegations and trips, and this is aimed specifically at the younger people in our audience, and it might be a good idea for the older people to remind them of this over Shabbos and the weekend, and that is that you, you in your career, 60s, 70s, you've got, you went to some pretty, you know, uh, pretty off-limit places uh, as well, you know, meaning places you never thought you'd get to uh, in, in comparison to a trip like this, also a country that many thought, you know, nobody would ever get to, et cetera, et cetera. But in those days, when you would go to a country like that, it was never in comfort. It was being investigated. It was being held up at airports. It was being given as much inconvenience to your schedule as possible. I asked you specifically about this trip, and you said 
You thank God, logistically, everything went very smoothly. And I think that's also a very big difference. That when countries did, quote unquote, welcome you in the past, it was always under a tremendous eye of scrutiny. Today, it's incredible the ease of passage with, with which you and a delegation has. Yeah, I visited a lot of country where um, where there were questions about getting in and bigger questions about whether we'd get out. Right. And certainly going back to the Russia of, uh, when we got arrested or got arrested in some other places in the Middle East, um, detained, but thank God never in, in serious jeopardy. Uh, but it is true, you know, that, that when you go to Baku in Azerbaijan or Tashkent in Uzbekistan or Amati, you can wear a yarmulke in the streets and no one will bother you. Wow. You can't do it in Berlin or Frankfurt or or, or, or uh, Paris today, or certainly in areas of those cities. So, you know, there there is a long history, some of it good, some of it bad, but uh, it, people have to really know the background in each circumstance, and you don't draw conclusions. This is not a one-shot deal, and, you know, it's the, people get their jollies because they get a headline, but I think that uh, what's more important is what we can help contribute or not. Uh, government. We're not, we don't have an army and an air force. We, we are represented a community that is engaged and involved and respected. And that respect can really build bridges. And, and I see the opportunities in many places today that really would have been unthinkable in the past, where the doors are open to new thinking and, and new opportunities. According to the Syrian Observatory for Human Rights report, three Syrian terrorists and four Iranian members of Iran's Revolutionary Guard were killed Thursday night in an air attack against a military compound near the international airport in Damascus. According to the report, a vehicle has also been hit in what seems to have been an attempt to stop a weapons delivery. I don't know what happened last night, Prime Minister Netanyahu said in a Friday interview. Maybe it was the Belgian Air Force. Uh, so we know that the pr- prime minister is obviously, uh, you know, trying to be cute with that response. What do you know about this attack? Well, it's one of a series, and as you know, Israel has been acting on a consistent basis, based upon the warnings that it has given and the assertions that uh, it will not tolerate, it cannot tolerate, the delivery of more and more advanced weapons being sent by Iran to um, to Syria and from Syria to Lebanon, where there is an immense. Uh, arsenal of of missiles and other weapons already uh, aligned, and now with the guidance systems, much more precise weapons than uh, they ever had before. And I think the the, um, the so Israel's actions are really preventative. Uh, they also uh, there have also been strikes by America against uh, certain um, formations. And, and we're seeing an escalation overall in Syria, where the Turks are, are fighting and uh, warning that they will get into an all-out, uh, potential all-out confrontation uh, uh, because of the escalations in Idlib and other areas. So Syria today is um, really no man's land. It's a wild west. And the we see Iran trying to take advantage of it, both by shipping weapons for an attack, for some diversion, for something to to uh, hold over if, if they face some sort of an action uh, they perceive and want to activate their proxies. Uh, we see that Iran-backed militias, uh, back Hezbollah, is being brought into to Iraq to full, fill the void left by Soleimani's elimination, and that they, they have, uh, are now uh, working 
to guide the Iraqi militias until there's a new leadership in the Quds forces, which Soleimani led since, what, 1998, I think. Um, and so the situation regionally is deteriorating on an ongoing basis. You have more and more involvement and the of, of uh, both outside parties and the inside uh, extremist groups, the al-Qaeda to the ISIS to the militias. And Israel's actions have to be such that they will deter any potential attack, prevent any intentional attack, and be able to respond strongly to one. We're going actually, uh, the President's conference conference here in Israel begins this week, uh, on Sunday, and one of the days we're spending up in the north to look at the terror tunnels, to look at the uh, situation there and in the Jordan Valley to understand what why it's so essential to Israel, what the uh, on-the-ground facts are, because from the media reports, you don't really understand how close things are, how uh, the troops are uh, really cheek-to-jowl often in cases. And when U.S. troops exchange fire with pro-Assad gunmen in northeast Syria, after a patrol car came under fire, you know, any of these things can escalate. And people are trying, I think, to keep it from getting out of hand. But it's a it's a tinderbox, and nothing would be surprising anymore there. Well, based on your statements, you don't think it was the Belgian Air Force. It does seem that campaign season brings out the Netanyahu sense of humor, and knowing how long campaign season is going to be now, I guess it'll be a year-round sense of humor. Two more uh, things on the Syrian situation. The first is... How much more, and, and it's funny because last week I asked you about the prior seven days, and now it's really escalated over the last week. In terms of the Syrian-Turkey conflict, how long will this continue or how deeper can it get before a third party feels they have to intervene? In the Syrian conflict? Yeah, with Turkey. Well, we have the third party interventions. You have a lot of countries involved, Turkey, Iran, obviously, Russia, um, the U.S., the EU, uh, Saudi Arabia, Maybe the UAE. Yeah, but I'm so talking. I'm talking multiple forces that are involved today, and and that contributes to exactly that explosive situation that you described. That it's not just a domestic internal civil war; it's one in which all these foreign powers are investing heavily, and they keep raising the stakes. And we'd consider that military intervention. We would. We would call that absolutely. Really. And uh, also, speaking of going up north, uh, I don't remember what the exact figure was, but Syrians are fleeing Syria in hundreds of thousands of numbers. I mean, right. the last three months, I think it was half a million, if I, if I remember the number correctly. Uh, any of them ending up in Israel? No. Wow, interesting. They're going uh, to other countries. Um, they can't to get into Israel is very difficult, um, but both geographically and for other reasons. But, you know, they're going into to, uh, Jordan. Um, I think in lesser numbers now, much more into Turkey, uh, and that increases both the burden on Turkey, but also uh, their leverage of being able to release large numbers of refugees into Europe if they don't get their way. Right. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio. Around the world and web at NahumSegal.com and the NahumSegal Network, and of course in the beloved NSN app. Malcolm Honline is in Israel. He's executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. What do you think of the United Nations blacklist of Israeli companies that operate in the West Bank? Well, I, for one, take this very seriously because we've had histories of blacklists against Jews in the past. Uh, this one actually does not carry particular sanctions, and they can characterize it um, 
uh, and it says it doesn't qualify camp companies' activities as illegal. So they're now sort of backing off or qualifying the intent and the meaning of this uh, declaration. But what it, the first thing it does is it shows the bias against Israel. No other disputed area comes under similar uh, requirements. And who are they punishing? By removing Airbnb and Bookings.com and Expedia, by, by stopping Angel's Bakery and others from operating there, they're hurting Israeli and Palestinian civilians who will not get access to stuff, who, who as in the past, would be the essence stuff. It backfires all the time on them. And the back blacklist is a, a something that we have long uh, sought to prevent, but they're succumbing just to the internal pressure within this body, a human, a human rights council, which is, um, you know, supposedly was trying to reform itself and undergoing processes of, of renewal, and it's really ridiculous because they, they don't take any meaningful steps toward the preservation of human rights. The only country they seem to go after is Israel. And you've seen Republicans, Democrats in the House uh, coming out against this incredibly biased report, as they called it, and and link it to the support for the BDS movement uh, against uh, America's great ally. And I think that the... the um, uh, others in the UN themselves, the UN itself, have worked to prevent this because they know that this is only going to uh, expose the bias, accomplish nothing. There were there were 112 companies named, I think 94 from Israel and 18 from the other countries. Uh, uh, six or seven were U.S. that I mentioned, Motorola and General Mills were uh, two of them. These are food companies, uh, General Mills. This is a technology company that provides products that improves the lives of people, and this is what they're blacklisting. I think it'll, it will not have a long-term impact economically. I do think it's a, another political nail in the role of the UN uh, uh, and the really outrageous bias that is constantly uh, being uh, exposed. And you, you saw one reversal on the Palestinian attempt to get it through the Security Council. Uh, you saw that they abandoned that uh, request because they couldn't get the 9 out of the 15 votes in its favor, which is the minimum uh, that you require uh, when there is no veto by one of the permanent members of the U.N. So the U.S. has, has long opposed it. The U.S. came out very strongly against this ridiculous um, uh, Resolution. It is a action of publishing a blacklist, and at this point, they only name it. But we know that the next step will be for BDS groups and these other bigoted and, and discriminatory groups to engage this, and then to start to uh, name, uh, attack these companies, boycott these companies, uh, call for other actions. I think the American people will reject it, and the international community will reject it. It's a, it's a long outdated. Uh, process and it's it's certainly unjustified in this case. Um, a, a, any coincidence with the timing that Abbas was in this week? Like, is that just a total coincidence that this comes out during the week he's in New York? No, I think Abbas's visit was more geared to the other resolution that he was going to argue for for the Security Council to adopt a resolution against the uh, deal of the century, and actually thought that he would, I think that he would pass it, and. Uh, and, and the fact that they had to withdraw it because the opposition was so great to it and they could not get the positive votes that he needed. So I think it was geared, his visit was geared for that, and then this came out simultaneously. It's, it's been in the works, though, for a long, long time, and people have tried to withhold it. There were a lot of people internally in the council that didn't want it 
to be published, but the pressures were just great, and the extremist pressures uh, pushed the, the council, even though the leaders of the council assured us over the years that they were going to change, they were looking for ways out. Uh, this this was a, a, a just a locomotive on the move that they couldn't stop. And Ehud Olmert's behavior this week has been described everything everything from courageous to bizarre. Where do you think it is? Well, I understand why people would perceive it as bizarre. I mean, this is the guy, and he said that he was the last to negotiate, and that, that he thinks is the only partner. It may be that a boss amongst the Palestinian leadership would theoretically be partner, but he's proven not to be. He's proven to be an obstacle. He's proven that he doesn't want to negotiate. He walked away from Olmert's deal, just as he walked away from Morocco's deal. <laughs> so I don't know whether this is an attempt to get relevance, an attempt to get media attention. I don't know what it contributed positively to, to the debate. Uh, I think the kissing embrace of uh, from the leader of J Street and others, it, it sends the wrong message. When the guy is being an obst- is so obstinate and standing in the way of the process, you think that the deal is too pro-Israel, so go to the table and make it more favorable to you. But you can't just stand there and scream and, and complain about it and not be willing to, to enter negotiations on it. Um, and Malcolm, this whole accusation, which I've heard a million times, that Israel loves to recycle its uh, public officials, uh, that's, you know, when Olmert uh, came in, people felt that that's what was going on. Uh, is that really something that, that's unique to Israel? Or don't don't you see it in so many countries where there are too too many people in government who just hang on too long? Who, who hang on too long or who get well, come back again? Yeah, who, who, uh, who are recent. I mean, we see it in our own country. You see right. it in countries around the world that they, you know, but these are people with experience and there's no reason why shouldn't take advantage of their experience. And if they feel that they are suitable candidates, that they should be able to run. Uh, Mr. Olmert, you know, ran into legal problems and stuff, which, uh, you know, took him out of office. And uh, he's smart, and he has, I'm sure he has things to offer. But because you can't make it in the political process, you create alternative channels or tracks, to me, is not an appropriate way. And uh, and he could disagree in Israel with the prime minister or with the deal. He can do an, an analysis of it. He did not come and sabotage the deal, as some people said. He didn't, right. he, he came to... Um, to express his views and to become to enter the fray, I think at a very uh, uh, sensitive and perhaps inappropriate time. And you said earlier, by the way, that Israel suspended its ties with the UN Human Rights Council. Is oh that, yes. And and why did it take till now? I would have thought this would have happened so long ago, or you or or what? Like, wouldn't this this is not the first time, as you pointed out, that they've been uh, you know the subject of their uh, resolutions? Why would it have taken till now for them to suspend ties with them? No, they, they suspended it a long time ago. Oh, it was suspended a long time. That's what it yeah, it wasn't over this. Right, no. I was wondering if it was in terms of this or not. Um, you know, we keep hearing in this. Uh, first of all, I read an article. I read an article today that said that the Netanyahu case be- between trial witnesses. I think they said over three hundred and thirty witnesses coming up uh, and appeals could take close to a decade. So, will we have the completion of the Netanyahu process first, or will we have a definitive prime minister first? What is what, <laughs> what's the more what's the more likely scenario? Um, first of all, the the opposition to Netanyahu continues to talk about the increase in violence in Gaza since the deal of the century was announced and this whole thing with Bennett, you know, in the Knesset this week, whether it should be a diplomatic um, resolution or a military resolution, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Just, just tell me, I know I asked you this last week, but tell me, is it a fact or not that, that ever since the announcement of the deal of the century, things are much hotter in Gaza? Because if yes, I don't think the, the media is really reflecting that. Well, we've had an increase in the number of the balloons, which are very dangerous. These are explosive balloons. They continue to fly 
into Israel, even th- during this past week, on I think Tuesday, Wednesday, other days that they uh, have uh, been uh, crossing and they land in people's homes and schoolyards and elsewhere, and the the explosions could be hear- heard near some of the cities um, from explosive balloons that were launched over the area, and there are uh, negotiations um, that have taken place or supposedly were taking place that uh, Hamas made an offer, even though they claim that they're not behind a lot of the the assaults. But the fact is that the, the situation there is intensifying. Uh, even today, I understand that the government gave a warning that the um, retaliation or some sort of a major exercise would not be tied to the election or inhibited by the election. Obviously, no prime minister wants to be seen going to war, but sometimes it's necessary even before uh, an election to take actions to stop this uh, constant harassment and um, and their very dangerous actions um, that are taking place along the border and have consistently been so even though they reach periodic accords then whenever the they want to raise the, the stake we see that um, uh, they start to launch new attacks. They find new means. We know that they're still trying to import more and more sophisticated uh, weapons, that some people were killed because they were trying to shoot off some weapons that they didn't know how, exactly how to operate. And um, uh, so the... the um, and, and you see that even the, the amongst the Palestinian people, a poll this week that showed that, as I recall, it was two-thirds... Uh, favored going back to um, some sort of a military or, or armed struggle, uh, in, in uh, and especially in response to the U.S. Uh, initiative. And this was a poll that was done just in the last few days. I think 95% of Palestinians rejected the plan, and I think 40% of Palestinians versus 60 uh, support a two-state solution, and 60% oppose it. So they're they're playing to popular sentiment. Uh, there's still talk of of an election in the Palestinian authorities uh, areas, but the um, it's a battle for for support and for recognition. And at the same time, uh, you know, they, they, this is all done to leverage their their positions. It's it's very tense there, and the people in the south in Israel south. You know, reach the limit about what they, what, how often they can tolerate these, uh, the periodic rockets and the attacks on the border and the uh, balloons, which I know the world takes lightly, but yeah. but should not. Is they're very dangerous. They're always calling for new elections. Is is this any more serious for the PA than than it ever has been? I mean, is this any? I think may they, not be more realistic, any more realistic right. than the previous calls. Yeah, and, that's what I meant. And efforts which have come to I know which have come to to naught. Right. So I, I don't see, and I don't see any candidate that really can rally the people, um, you know, in a unified way that. Uh, you know, can offer new hope or new new leadership or aspirations. Um, sort of sounds that, like sort of sounds like nobody wants a job. You know, well, it, no, there are people who want a job, and each one has their own militias, and and you know, it's it's a fractionated society, very tribal, um, and you have uh, different leaders in, ge- in geographic regions. So, I think an election could be. Very explosive, and very divisive, and obviously there's also the kleptocracy people who have vested interest in continuing the process as it is because they're making money, their families are making money, and even though the pilot people don't benefit from it. Right. All right. Finally, speaking of divisive elections, we'll end with this: <laughs> the elections coming up March second. 
you're in Israel, and now you've been there quite obviously off and on, we know because of Saudi Arabia, but off and on for, you know, for a little bit of an extended visit for for the visits you usually have to Israel. Are you getting any more of a sense of the strategy we discussed last week that, that Prime Minister Netanyahu is simply trying to, to keep alive this idea that, of course, annexation is coming down the road. Of course, we're going to take care of this and really court the right wing with it. Or are they not falling for that? Or are they not believing him? Uh, is it going to cost him at the polls? Because if he would have annexed, he certainly would have attracted people that he uh, cannot attract now. You know, without a you know a firm and hard commitment on it. it, it what have you seen regarding uh, that strategy of the election uh, this week? I would say all of the above <laughs> are, are are relevant to one degree or another. There, you know, there is a lot of skepticism. People are very concerned that the election will be inconclusive. Yep. Uh, the latest polls I saw today showed 57 for the uh, left-leaning uh, plus Arab bloc and 56 for the right-leaning Likud bloc. Um, the the talk of those who say they will join won't join Bennett, saying he won't go with the blue and white after others thought he might break away. Right. Lieberman still playing a key role, but saying he he want he wants this to be a conclusive election. And therefore, would would probably join a coalition. It's it's certainly uncertain. But I will tell you, I do not find people obsessed with the election. It's it's almost marginal in discussions with people. That and you know, after the third time in the year, I can understand that completely. It doesn't mean they're not interested or concerned or won't go to the polls. I think they will, but I don't think that they see that there's a difference between now and the last time that would motivate them to go and say, well, there's a new candidate, a new spirit, a new something. Uh, and there are articles coming out that are very critical of Gantz's leadership style. There are obviously there's tons of criticism of Netanyahu and had the legal developments uh, almost every day, something that comes out. Um, I don't find people excited and, and rallying, in the, uh, but the political mechanism is certainly working hard. And Blue and White has young people out uh, canvassing. I'm sure we could has them. There, BB has been attending rallies uh, almost constantly, um, and I'm sure Gans has been doing the same along with his uh, his partners. So it'll be very interesting to see. It's only ten days off, and yeah, I don't think I mean, anybody could easily bet their wages on what the outcome will be. I mean, this, this is two weeks from Monday. This is right around the corner. And by the way. Campaign, campaign BB, much more fun than diplomatic BB. I don't know. If you know. That's what they're saying. And people <laughs> saying he's going to adopt it year-round. But, you know, his his comments, his, uh, and then there are all sorts of, you know, Internet things, some yep. of which are really quite funny, some mm-hmm. of them pretty nasty. Um, but like in America, you know, the, the campaign is usually parallel, and they often have American exper- experts who come here. Right. Uh, I don't know that it really works. The dynamic is the same in Israel. But you, you, you know, you don't get a sense from taxi drivers what the outcome is going to be yet. Right, that's for sure. All right, we uh, promise to get you out on time, and we are enjoy Shabbat in Yerushalayim. Uh, next week, you're in. Uh, Thank you. You're in Yerushalayim or the diaspora next Friday. I am in Yerushalayim next week. Our media, our conference ends uh, late Thursday and, night, and hopefully, you and, will be able to join us. Correct. I, I hope so. Thank you. We will do so. Thank you. Have a wonderful Shabbos. Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of major American Jewish organizations, joins us Fridays for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. And, of course, I thank him. Candlelighting 509 here in New York, 509. This portion of the Nahum Siegel Network programming is brought to you by our friends 
at A&H. Abel's and Hyman kosher hot dog sausages and deli is the world's best, serving the kosher world since 1954 and available at better supermarkets everywhere. Nationwide, try A&H today. Hey, don't forget to vote in the World Zionist Congress election. You have until March the 11th, but try to do it this weekend. Go to voteoic.org, voteoic.org, and remember... We are on slate number four. We are on slate number four. You want to make sure to vote for slate number four. Uh, that is how you should participate in the World Zionist Congress elections. We've uh, mentioned countless times how important it is to vote, how worthwhile the small investment is to uh, to become a member. So please take care of that this weekend, and we greatly appreciate it. VoteOIC.org. VoteOIC. Org. This time each and every Friday, every Arab Shabbos, with great pleasure, we present Rabbi Benjamin Uden, spiritual leader of Congregation Shomri Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address its uh, spiritual leader emeritus, Congregation Shomri Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. And of course, this morning, everybody, please, uh, please keep in mind, Frey Refur Shlema, Bat Sheva, Bat Sara, Bat Sheva, Bat Sarah. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good morning, Nachum. Good have Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Yisro. According to the Chinuch, Parshas Yisro contains 17 mitzvos, 3 positive mitzvos, and 14 restrictions. Parshas Yisro is such an exciting parsha. You have within it the Aseris Hadibros, the Ten Commandments, and let's go back. Emir Hashem, tonight, how do we begin the Kiddush? Vahi Erev, Vahi Voker, we denote Hashem completed creation, Yom Hashishi, the sixth day. Well, we know that in the previous five days of creation, it's Yom Echad, Yom Sheni, Yom Shlishi. It's not Yom Horavii, not Yom Hachamishi. Why is it Yom Hashishi? So among the answers that Rashi gives is that it doesn't only refer to the literal context of that it's the sixth day of creation, but Hashem looked into the future and He said, I have just created a world and it's all dependent on Yom HaShishi, the sixth day of the third month, which is the month of Sivan, as the Torah tells us, Bachodesh HaShlishi, at the beginning of chapter 19, in the beginning of the third month, they come to Har Sinai, and on the sixth day, if the Jewish people take the Torah, then the world continues. Then there's a purpose to the world. And if not, the world ceases. That's how important Parshas Yisro is, our accepting of the Torah. Now, I'd like to point out a fascinating Rashi who quotes a Mechilta. And that is, if one looks carefully at the text as to how Matan Torah transpired, one will see that in reality there was a plan A and ultimately a plan B. 
the plan A was to be, if you look in chapter 19, Pasuk 9, Vayom Hashem el Moshe, Hashem says to Moshe, I will come to you in the thickness of a cloud and so that the entire nation will know that I have spoken to you. They will witness, they will be there they'll know with absolute certainty that I communicated with you, and and as a result of this, they will believe in you forever. This is what was to be, and the Torah goes on to tell us, that Moshe goes and relates the words of the people to Hashem. The Torah doesn't tell us what are the words of the people. Comes along Rashi, and Rashi says on the Pasuk, Estivrei Ha'am, Teshuva al shamati mehem. I heard the people respond to what your plan is, Hashem. Namely, Sheritzoneinu lishmoa mimcha. We want to hear the Aseris Adibros. We want to hear Torah from you. Enadome, you can't compare Hashomea Mipisholiach from the one who hears from a messenger, Lishmoa Mipiamelech from the one who hears from the king directly. Ritzoneinu Lirose Esmalkenu. It is our desire to see the Melech, to see the king. And that's it. From the text itself, we see the response of Hashem. Vayomer Hashem Moshe. Oh, if that's the case, that they don't want to be spectators, that they want to be participants, that they want to actually experience prophecy themselves, oh, then, Leich Go to the people, Vikidash Tamayomakar. They have to literally prepare. They've got to sanctify themselves. Khipsu Simlosam. Wash their clothing. They have to go to mikvah. For Yunachonimayomashlishi. They have to be prepared. And they are not to be with their wives for three days. Amazing that there was to be them as listening and watching. And they say no. According to the Mechilta, Hashem responds, Tain lehem mashebikshu. Give them what they're asking for. And in reality, what do we find? The Pasuk continues the next Pasuk. Kibayom ha-shlishi, Hashem They ask to see Hashem, Hashem is granting it. They ask to hear Hashem, Hashem is granting it. There's an incredible concept that's emerging at Har Sinai. And the concept is that we got what we received only because we asked for it. Had we not asked for it, we would have been on a much lower level. Now, I urge you, take out the Chumashim, 
and go to Vaeschanan, chapter 4, Pasuk 33, whereby Moshe Rabbeinu <clears throat> is recounting to the next generation who were not there at Sinai, and he's saying, Wow, Hashama'am, didn't people ever hear? Has anything like this ever come about? No other people ever make this claim that the entire nation experienced prophecy. Remember, they claim that their prophets communicated with God. I don't know, maybe yes, maybe no. But no one ever claims that the entire nation, as we do, now think about it. They didn't only experience prophecy at Sinai, but they experienced the prophecy of the level of Moshe Rabbeinu. What does that mean? It means that all other prophets, as we're told in Parshas, they got their nevuah in a dream. Not so Klai Yisrael at our Sinai. Klai Yisrael at our Sinai received the Nevuah as Moshe. Ponim el ponim diber Hashem. Hashem spoke to them literally face to face. Incredible. But let's remember, all this came about because they asked for it. If they had not asked for it, they would not have gotten it. And I think that this is such a powerful lesson for each and every one of us to incorporate into our own lives as well. I'll start with a Jewish folklore story, just the saber esoozen, just to put us in the right direction. The story goes that a king was traveling, and a lion came and was going to attack the king. And a poor peasant appeared and was able to save the king from the lion. And the king turns to the peasant and says, How could I ever repay you? And says the peasant, You should know, I live in a small log cabin, and it's leaking. Maybe the king can have somebody fix my roof. And if you and I were there, as the king himself responds and says, Shote, you fool, you had an opportunity to ask for a palace. You had an opportunity to ask for the world. And why waste your request on something so insignificant? There is such powerful Gemaras which lead us to believe and to know that you have the power of tefillah. And when you ask appropriately, HaKadosh Baruch Hu responds. The Gemara in Temura, Tez Zion Amanalev, 16a, in talking about Yavetz or Sneel, and they're one and the same. And his tefillah, and his tefillah goes, Hashem, in Borech Tevarcheni, if you should bless me, Verbesi 
Eskevuli, and you expand my borders. And your hand will be with me. And you'll keep me from harm, <coughs> that I will not be distressed. And Hashem granted him, and the Talmud goes on to show that what he was asking for was greater spirituality. You should give me Torah, give me Talmudim, give me the friends that will not distract me and that will influence me in a positive way. This is what he asked for, and this is what he got. The Gemarim Brachos, Tafnun Amaralev, says so powerfully, and this, I'll be honored, is part of the Shir Shalyom for Thursday. So please, God, next Thursday and all other Thursdays, when we say this Shir Shalyom and we say in Capitol Pei Aleph, 81, Pasuk Yud Aleph, Hashem says through Dover Amelech, Anochi Hashem Elokecho, Hamaucho Meyeres Mitzrayim. I am Hashem, your God, who literally raised you up from the land of Egypt. Harchev Picho Vamaleu, open wide your mouth, Vamaleu, that I may fill it. What does that mean? Says the Gemara, in Brachos Tafnun Amar Aleph. This is written in regard to Torah and with Ruchnia, spirituality. When you are before Hashem, Shachris, Mincha, Ma'iriv, we take three steps back and then we take three steps forward. And now you are standing before God. Utilize the opportunity, ask appropriately. You, Hashem, grant man intelligence. Give me intelligence that I could understand your Torah, that I could have the sweetness of Torah, that I could learn more. There is so much that we can learn and appreciate. When we say the bracha, sim shalom, that we say to Hashem, please give peace, peace to the world, peace to the Jewish community, peace within our own community, within the factions. And what do we say? Kibior Ponecha, with your graciousness, Nosatolanu, Hashem Elokeinu, Torah Chaim, you've given us a living Torah, the Avas Chesed, you've given us a love for Chesed. Hashem, give me more opportunities to do Chesed. Wow, that's what your Shmona Esrei should be. Keep asking for more. And what are we assured? Hashem Tzilcha. Hashem is your shadow. What you present and cause the shadow, the shadow responds exactly in kind. And that's what the very important lesson of Maimar Har Sinai is not only are these ten commandments, ten categories that Rashi says are the basis for 
as Rabbi Sajigon pointed out, all of the other 603 mitzvos. So they all fit the other 603 within these 10 categories. It's not just that we gave the world 10 commandments, but the Torah is teaching us that man should ever keep on reaching, reach higher, and please God, as the Torah says, that I will give you brachos v'hisigucha. The bracha should catch up to you. You should always ask for more opportunities to grow, and Hashem will respond in kind. Shabbat Shalom to all. Shalom Aleichem
oceans and the rivers through every single dawn. No matter what the soldiers said or how the rain would pour, Zadie always kept a smile and wiped the tears away. Nothing could ever keep him down when he'd start to say, It's Shabbos now, Shabbos now, and I will sing. Your family and your neighbors It's now your time Of winding steers and broken dreams Papa tries to sell a little more A penny here, a penny there Mama cries and clothes she told My Zadie always kept a smile And wiped her tears away Soon things will turn around Soon we're gonna say It's Shabbos now Shabbos now
J.M. and the A.M. with some amazing Shabbos selections. Anam Zmiros from ABD, Benny Friedman, and Kulanu Nelech. It's Shabbos now. That was eighth day. And David Dax had that Shabbos medley. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos at J.M. and the A.M. Erev Shabbos Parshas Yisro with candlelighting in New York at 5.09. We are here, President's Day, Monday between 6 and 9 a.m. Make sure to be tuned in. I'll tell you who to expect on table for two next with Naomi Nachman in just a moment. And I thank you for tuning in to J.M. and the A.M. Time to say good Shabbos with Journeys at J.M. and the A.M.
Our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio. Around the world, the web, and NachumSingle.com, and the NachumSingle Network, and of course, in the beloved NSN app. Wraps up an amazing Friday and a great week here at JMN. Thanks, everybody, for all the big Mazel Tov wishes. Much appreciated. And to have a wonderful Shabbos, great weekend. Don't forget Yeshiva University tomorrow night. Another game. They're going for 22 in a row tomorrow night. Another great basketball game for the men's basketball team. 8.30 tomorrow night up at YU. Hope to see you there. Table for two next with Naomi Nachman. Ayala Cohen of NCSY Euro Go program. Michelle Sake of Miami Food Yenta. David Landau, founder of Standing Together. And Shana Zieger, founder of In- Incredible, are all going to be guests coming up uh, between 9 and 10 right now here at the Nachum Single Network. Erev Shabbos Show with Mark Zamek, brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem. Erev Shabbos Music Mix, brought to you by the wonderful people at Kedem and plenty more. Tomorrow night, Saturday night, Seagull. Sunday, it's uh, JM Sunday with Matis. And, of course, Monday morning on President's Day, we are back here between 6 and uh, 9 a.m. Have a fabulous Shabbos and great weekend. <laughs> Until Monday, Alchem Seagull reminding you, remember to pass, live the present, and trust the future.